And this is message number two of a two-part series, uh, continuing from last week's message, When the Wicked Fail. And uh, if you missed that message, you won't be lost in this message. Um, You'll be all right. They're both pretty self-contained. If you do want to catch up on that message or any other message, uh, we do archive all of our messages at gracelifeavon.com as well as on iTunes and various places where you might find podcasts and Facebook and YouTube and all of the sort. Uh, Beginning next week, we'll be taking a break from the book of Psalms, and we'll be starting a short five-week series entitled The God Who. And this will be a topical series in which we look at some of the ways that God has interacted with his creation and how we see his character and actions. So excited about that series. Mike Tucker is going to kick it off for us next week. I actually will be out of town this weekend. My family and I are taking a a little getaway. Um, So keep us in prayer as we travel. And uh, excited for this series. And who knows, we might have a special guest in the middle of it, depending on how things go. Some, Some guy from Tennessee might make an appearance. So we'll see. We'll see. We're praying about that. Uh, but seriously, as Mike mentioned, keep Derek in prayer as he's struggling to, to recover from this bout with shingles and Bell's palsy uh, that has affected um, him so severely. So pray for him. As I mentioned last week, Psalm 9 and 10 are believed to be one psalm. Together they form an acrostic. Um, that basically means that each section uh, of the psalm begins with a Hebrew letter uh, in alphabetical order. Together they form a lament. And we mentioned last week that Psalm 9 had more of a tone of victory throughout. Um, But in Psalm 10, the one that we're looking at today, the tone is definitely more of lament. Lament typically begins with an address to God. Um, As we'll see in this one, and as Mike already read, David starts this by saying, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? So it's... It's an address to God, but it often almost has kind of an accusative tone to it. And then in a lament, it will go forward with a list of complaints, followed by an affirmation of trust in God, landing on a response of praise. And I think it's so interesting as we look at laments in the Bible, because I think in modern times, we kind of are afraid of lamenting. Most of the songs we sing the modern songs that we sing anyways, and I don't want to knock them because any song that I've ever written is technically a modern song. Um, but most of them tend to be pretty positive and uplifting and joyful and all that good stuff. But um, David and the psalmist obviously weren't afraid of lamenting. And so there needs to be a place for that in our lives. And many of the uh, historic hymns that the church has sung uh, did this well. And that's one of the reasons why I do think it's good Uh, here at Grace Life and and for us as well to be familiar with the hymns. Uh, Nate does a good job of mixing those in, uh, but it's good for us to to know the theology of hymns and to sing those because they often help us work through our laments. So lament is not always a bad thing. Um, Some categorize psalms as psalms of lament uh, as psalms of disorientation. A psalm of disorientation is seen when the people of God see the brokenness of the world around them. Perhaps it occurs because we've been looking at the promises of God, 
that the righteous would prevail and the wicked would uh, falter. They would be like Psalm 1 talked about, scattered like the chaff, driven by the wind. And so we see the reality in front of us and see that the opposite happens. And so we're disoriented. We see the wicked thriving and the righteous oppressed. And in times like that, we need reorientation. So today, we're going to work through this psalm. We're going to unpack how it pertains to today by looking at three points. Wicked then, wicked now, and king forever. Let's read Psalm 10. And again, this is uh, one of the more lengthy ones. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that, they, that he may seize the, power, the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see. For you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we are able to come together today. We thank you that we're able to sing these songs together. We thank you that we're able to pray for one another, to hear the word proclaimed. Father, I ask that in the course of this morning, our hearts will be stirred, our affections will be set on you, and our eyes would be fixed on you, Lord. Help us to receive your word this morning. Let it find good soil. In Jesus' name, amen. The wicked then. So the psalmist, David, begins this lament in verse 1 with two agonized questions. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? These questions stand in stark contrast to where David saw himself in Psalm 9, hidden in the refuge of God. Here at the beginning of Psalm 10, he's feeling isolated and abandoned. This is the disorientation that David is feeling. He, he knew God's promises, but he was seeing the opposite come true. The wicked appear to be the ones who are prospering. God's word doesn't appear to be coming true. 
It may seem a bit unnerving to us to see God questioned in this way. Like I mentioned, laments aren't really part of our, um, our worship often. But really, throughout our lives, we have asked similar questions. We wonder where God is, when, or if he'll move. We open our hearts to God like David and, and plead with him to touch a certain situation. That's really what David is doing here. This isn't David uh, accusing God like somehow David is more righteous than God. That's just absurd. But David here is opening up his heart to God. He's honest. He wonders when God is going to deal with the wicked. And last week we talked about how the wicked fail. Based on the promises of God, looking to past actions and looking forward to future mercies. When God seemed distant and unaffected, though, by the suffering of the innocent, David still responds by bringing his cries of lament to God. Let's read verses 2 through 11 again here. In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised, for the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. David lays out all the exploits of these very real wicked people. Uh, It's not simply some kind of poetic lament about some abstract vision of what possible wickedness might look like. David was experiencing something real. The wicked are described here in three pictures. The hostile army wild animals, and the hunter or the fisherman. Out of the sinfulness of the heart, the wicked commit horrible acts of unrighteousness. The wicked are described as delighting in the schemes that they have devised. And it's an interesting thing. You know, when I, when I first kind of looked at this and I read verse 4, it says there is no God. Immediately I'm thinking, oh, this is like atheism, right? But it's not that the wicked don't believe in God in this. Um, he actually acknowledges God. But he's just openly rejected him. He's ridiculed him as being absent. The wicked stand believing themselves to be stronger, bigger, higher than God. believing that their reign of terror will not end. The troubling thing, as you read through these these 10 verses here, 2 through 11, is that it almost seems like the psalmist, David, begins to agree with the wicked man. Not in the sense that the psalmist has rejected God, but that the psalmist appears to not be able to see the situation properly. 
He sees the wicked man as the most immediate and urgent need. He sees the boasting of the wicked and agrees that they are big and unstoppable. David's not seeing God as he should. He sees the wicked as eclipsing God. The trouble appears bigger than God. Perhaps a better way to say it is that he has fallen into the trap of having the same perspective of God that the wicked man has. And I think it stands to reason that the source of David's lament, his crying out to God who feels so removed and so distant, is because David has forgotten God's love, God's sovereignty, his splendor, and his might. He cannot see God's plan in all of this because he only sees the wicked. His vision is consumed with the wicked man and God is back in the rearview mirror far back. His heart is floundering at the apparent success and prosperity of the wicked. But before we see how this ends for David, I want to look at the wicked now in our time. We live in a world that is also overwhelmed with wickedness and evil and corruption on every side. All one has to do is simply turn on the evening news or one of those crazy 24-hour sensationalism channels, I mean news channels, um, or scan through the dreaded social media. Uh, As an aside, I I find myself more than ever needing to take a break from social media. Um, At times, I just delete them right off my phone, and um, I, I think... It's good for us to cut away from the frustration that social media can induce. And I'm not saying that as an answer to all our problems, but um, it would be good for us to occasionally get out and spend time with friends and family and just get out and see the world a little bit. Get out and uh, maybe go for a walk or something. It's not the answer to the problems, but I just want to encourage you to maybe sometimes cut off the tendrils of the devices that we have. Um, I know for... For me, at times, one of my big struggles is I just absentmindedly pull up Twitter and just scan through, and before long, my heart is just gripped with frustration and anxiety at all of the world's problems. We also see that there are indeed evil and wicked rulers in the nations today, and yes, maybe even our own, who are working to undermine the lives and liberties of people all over the world. We see the terrible situation that's unfolded in Afghanistan. And it breaks our hearts. Innocent people being persecuted by an evil regime. Suffering and being oppressed by wicked rulers. And maybe what's most close to our hearts is that brothers and sisters in Christ are being persecuted under terrible, severe persecution. Giving their lives for the sake of Christ. And there are all all sorts of other issues that are important maybe more important to our individual lives. Things like abortion, sex trafficking, addiction, our children's education and the philosophies of this world that come along with that, COVID and how to respond to it, and yes, the wicked game of politics. There are so many things that trouble us today, and because of the access provided by devices and TV, uh, the newspapers and everything else, we end up carrying a burden that was not meant for us as we literally carry the burden of everything going on in the world all at once. And it's crushing. We were not meant to bear all these burdens. But God can. 
And so maybe we feel like David here, that wickedness is prevailing. And perhaps for a time, maybe it is. So how as believers do we respond to all these things? What can we do? We often look for practical answers for uh, what to do next. What are the steps that we should take? We want to know steps one, two, and three. And I don't think that's wrong. Uh, To have a desire to help, you know, a desire, maybe it's born out of our love for our neighbor. So what are some practical things that we can do about the wickedness we see in the world? Well, first, let us realize that the wicked things and wicked people, like the wicked people in David's day, can appear so daunting and intimidating that our vision is clouded and we're unable to see God rightly. If our attention is consumed with the wickedness around us, we won't see God properly. And we're left feeling isolated and alone. But I want to encourage you this morning to know that God is present. To know that he is with you. And he is at work. He's at work in all of these situations. So fix your gaze on him and not solely on the issues. We see the world around us is not right. We just sang about that, right? Do you feel the world is broken? And we all answered we do. The injustice, the wicked deeds and unrighteousness that is so prevalent around us should indeed cause our hearts to groan and ache for God to move. And like David, we can cry out, O Lord, how long? Why, O Lord? We can lament. And we can pray. Let us not view prayer as, let us not view prayer as a backup option or some kind of last resort. Um, I think we're all guilty of this at times. You know, when someone tells us of a need and we go, well, I don't know what I can do. I guess I can pray. Let us not view prayer as that last option. Cast your cares on God. Worry at him. Direct all your fears and your anxieties Godward. You and I cannot bear all these burdens, like I said, but God can. So dump them onto him. Or as Jesus said in Matthew 11, to cast your cares. Jesus is gentle and lowly. Give them your burdens. Give them to him. He can take them. Second, where you are able to relieve suffering, whether through word or deed, do so. And in doing this, we stand against wickedness and evil. Jesus, during his earthly ministry, cared for people and responded to human suffering and relieved it. He preached first. He preached the good news of the kingdom to the poor. In Luke 4, Jesus reads from Isaiah, And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Then he says, Today scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, and he sat down. It's an interesting way to preach. The kingdom of God was drawing near in a way like never before. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the kingdom that God had promised to establish was beginning to be fulfilled. One day when Jesus returns, we'll see the fullness and the the kingdom realized. But Jesus was calling those to whom he preached to, to behold what he was about to do. That in coming to earth, dying and raising again, he was going to usher in a new creation as people were transferred from the kingdom of darkness to his kingdom. He had come to save, and this is the greatest relief of suffering. Secondly, he healed the sick and delivered the oppressed wherever he went. 
Mark 6:56 says, And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplace and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. Acts 10:38 Uh, begins mid-sentence here, but how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all those, all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So therefore, as we are able to, where we can serve people in love and bring relief, we should do so. And as we continue on, I want to use the word serve here to speak of how we can uh, speak into or address the needs that are on our hearts. So As I talk about these things, I'm going to use that word serve a lot. So whether they be wickedness around us or taking care of our brother or sister in Christ, uh, we should be serving these needs. If you have the chance to serve um, a woman struggling with a decision over whether she should keep the baby she carries or to have an abortion, I encourage you to serve her in love. If you have the ability to care for someone in this church who's dealing with a struggle, maybe an addiction, or um, just some specific sin that maybe uh, they have been enduring for a long time and it's crushing them, I encourage you to just encourage and love that brother or sister in Christ. If you feel that you should speak up over an injustice or into the political quagmire, do so in truth and in love. As you serve in an area that you believe to be important, I do want to mention that not all believers need to be uh, involved in serving that specific issue that you feel strongest about. God has given us all different concerns and different burdens. And so don't uh, look at others who are not serving in those areas with judgmental eyes. Romans 14 encourages us to have grace for those who have different issues of conscience. If politics is on your heart to speak into, do so in faith. Do so with grace. And don't be upset that others don't feel exactly the same way about it that you do. And that's not to say that there aren't issues that are out there that are clear, black and white, sinful issues. But everyone's going to reach into these issues differently. Other people are going to have other issues that are burdens on their heart. Romans 14 speaks of Christians in terms of weak and strong, covering issues of conscience like eating and drinking. I believe it applies to issues we are passionate about as well, such as issues of justice, how to respond to evils in the world, and more. So let's read that, Romans 14, 1 through 4. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So how does this apply? Paul says, welcome the weak. We all at times could be the weak or the strong, depending on the topic. We've all been both throughout our lives. Believers welcome one another. In all matters of preference, conscience, and liberty, we can hold different views and still love one another and have fellowship in the unity of Christ. Our fellowship is not around a political party. It's around Jesus Christ. So remember that these issues, the areas that where we feel called to serve or to speak into, are not for everybody to address. 
So if you say it's for everyone to give attention to, you are placing a yoke of bondage on others. When we create a yoke of bondage or try to bind another's conscience in any area, we are adding to the gospel. We are saying our salvation or our standing with God is based on Jesus plus fill in the blank. This is dragging people back into law. This is binding someone's conscience over something that Christ has given liberty. Galatians 5.1, which I believe was the verse of the day a few days ago because it was all over Facebook and, and Instagram and Twitter on a, on a Bible app. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. As well, all of the evils that we see in our world, that we feel called to address, that we feel called to serve, are temporary. So in that sense, our jobs and callings to serve them are temporary. There is coming a day when all of these things will end. So remember, they are temporary and they are not ultimate. I was talking about this message with Chanel. She's my um, sounding board. And I just want to give her credit because she's smarter than I. And she has a way with words that is often, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a gift, I think. It's a, I think it's a spiritual gift that she has. She's able to, to write things in a way um, that's poetic and beautiful and encouraging. Um, so we were talking about thing, these things, and um, she said that maybe it would be good to share uh, something that we feel called to speak into, just as an example. And so I will do that. Chanel and I both feel strongly that uh, one of the areas, just one of the areas that we are called to is to encourage and inspire others to lift their, ga- their gaze higher, to look beyond the issues that we face today, and to look to Christ, to fix our gaze on him. This is something that I have felt as um, a calling or a, or a burden, not in a negative way, uh, but a burden on my heart. And it's often been a theme in my teaching um, And my writing as well. We also feel called to serve our church family. To serve Grace Life. And we want to love and to serve our church family. And I believe this is one of those things that will speak to the world. As they see our love for one another. I want to encourage you with this thought. There are so many needs in the world. It's a bit overwhelming. Some are very important. Some less so but still valuable. Loving the body of Christ will always be important. The world will take note of that as we love and serve one another where we're able to in faith. And Jesus even says in John 13 that this is how the world will know that we're his disciples. Our love for one another. And Paul writes in Galatians 6 verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially those who are of the household of faith. So is loving the body of Christ, and then when we have the opportunity, extending our hand beyond, is that enough? The answer is yes. Do not feel guilty that you cannot solve all of the evils of the world because you can't. And if you ask me, 
you know, what should I do about any specific topic, you know, maybe a topic that's been on your heart, what's the best way to respond to this wicked thing, I'm not going to always be able to tell you what steps one, two, and three are. In fact, probably most things. But I can point you to Christ, and I can help to frame it um, how the gospel speaks into it. You'll have to see what it is that God has put on your own heart. You'll have to discern that. And how to best serve that issue in faith and extending grace to others. Remember, you are finite. You are limited in resources and time. As my wife always says, there are only 24 hours in the day. And I can't extend beyond that. There's not enough time in the day to fix all the world's problems. God has placed you in specific places in your life, specific situations, with people around you for a purpose. So serve where you can, but don't overspend yourself. Don't don't try to serve in an area that you simply don't have the faith or grace for. It doesn't serve others well if you spend your days arguing on social media over every hot topic and yet don't invest in your children, your spouse, your church family, or your neighbors. There is one important work for all of us, though, and it is a primary issue, and it's to believe the gospel. John six twenty nine, Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Anything else we do is okay and good, if done by faith, and recognizing that these issues that we care about are not ultimate. If believing the gospel is the most important work, then what serves our families and communities the most is not to try to convince everybody of our worldview, our political view, or anything else like that. What serves people most is a person, Jesus Christ, and the good news of his death and resurrection. The wicked enemy assumes he will conquer, that he will endure, but it is Jesus who is king forever. What will serve our families and neighbors and all who are suffering under the impression of the evil one the most is Jesus. That's our third point this morning, king forever. Let's read verses 12 through 18. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, You will not call to account, but you do see. For you know mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. So let's try to kind of tie all this together. Uh, The wicked then, the wicked now, and our king forever. We, like David, can have our vision and hope obscured by the evil one, by wicked people, or really anything else, including good things. We lose sight of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when this happens, we feel defeated, isolated, and hopeless. In Psalm 73, Asaph, 
um, a, a worshiper, a, a writer, and um, kind of the, the worship leader of Israel for a while, felt this way as well. And throughout Psalm 73, he writes very similar to David's writing about how he thought that the wicked would fail, but here they are prevailing. The wicked were thriving and the righteous were suffering. But like David, he remembered the Lord. And in Psalm 73, verses 16 through 17, he writes, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. The World English Bible translates that as it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. As David in Psalm 10 returns his gaze to the Lord, the Almighty God, his vision begins to be reoriented. It's as though a temporary blindness has now been shaken off, and he again sees the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. He sees God, the Almighty One. He again sees that the wicked one is nothing in comparison to God. The same is true for us today. No wickedness can compare to God. David again sees rightly. Yahweh is king forever and the nations will perish. These wicked nations are nothing more than a drop in the bucket. Isaiah writes in chapter 40 verse 15, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. And are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. We too can rejoice as David did. We can be assured like Asaph. We can be encouraged even when the wicked prevail because ultimately they won't. And so therefore lies the kind of tongue-in-cheek reference that is the title of this message. When the wicked prevail. It may seem like it. It may feel like that for a time, and maybe they do for a short-lived time have a victory, but ultimately they will not prevail. Justice will come. Wickedness won't truly win because Jesus has already prevailed. How can we be sure? How can we feel the same confidence and assurance that David landed on? Remember Christ. Remember his victory. Remember his covenant promises to you. And so to close today, I want to read several scriptures that can encourage us and fill our hearts and minds with his promises. And as I read these, I want us to consider Jesus, the victorious king. Daniel seven thirteen through 14. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Ephesians 1, 20 through 22 That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Finally, Revelation 1, 4 through 7. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and is to come, 
and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Wickedness and evil abound. Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always. And the poor are more than just those in poverty. You might just substitute in there the evil you will have with you always. The wicked you will have with you always. Corrupt politicians in D.C. you will have with you always. Whatever you want to fill in the blank with there, you will have these with you. And many, many more issues. And in the midst of that, we can cast our cares on God. We can relieve suffering where we're able. We can love one, one another. Brothers and sisters in Christ, relieving the suffering of one another. So be encouraged because Jesus Christ is King forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we are not left isolated and alone, surrounded by wickedness, without help. You are with us, and your Son has conquered, and he is King forever and ever. Please lift our eyes above the storms and above the trials and above all the things that are burdening us and weighing us down. Help us to see Christ. Lift our hearts. Whatever it is that is making them heavy this morning, I just ask that you would lift our hearts as we put our hope in you and the kingdom that is to come. We praise you. We give you honor and glory. And we thank you for Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, who has freed us from sin, who has forgiven our sins, and whom we eagerly await. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.